Welcome to our first video recorded show of Dealer Process Secrets. This is episode 46. I'm here with my co-host, Brian Steele. I've also got Brian Hawkinson and Jessica Bastine with us on the show today. Excited to get this going. Brian, you know Brian very well. Uh, two Brians on the show today, so I'm going to hand it off to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to get this whole show started. Yeah, we always say like uh, B squared, right? B-squared. Yeah, it's a, it feels like an Ab- Abbott and Costello skit. It really does. <laughs> Who's on but, first? <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're here talking to Alpha Talk podcast. Um, yeah. That's Alpha Warranty, uh, Utah-based company, and uh, you know, we just like to know about some of the services that you guys offer. Uh, so, if you want to kick that off, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll just introduce myself first. So. Uh, Brian Hawkinson, Vice President of Business Development. Um, I've been here for about 10 years. Uh, When we started the company, or when I started with the company, rather, um, we had about 14 employees. Uh, We're now at 150. Uh, I bring that up because we've had tremendous growth over the past, you know, almost 10 years. Uh, And a lot of that has been because of innovation and just, um, quite honestly, listening to our our partners like yourselves and, and, you know, dealers in the, the space. And following uh, really their lead in a lot of, you know, we're a product provider. And so it makes it easy when your customer base is telling you what they need and you just execute on it. So uh, before that, I was in an international business for about uh, a decade, uh, worked primarily in Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Caribbean. It's not as sexy as it sounds. Actually, it was a pretty great job. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. But uh, I... <laughs> I got tired of the sunscreen. No, it was, uh, I actually met uh, Steve, our owner in grad school. So we we're both getting a master's oh, in business and um, yeah, in a bar in Peru. So there's a story behind that. Brian uh, still knows me really well. There's always a story, um, but that's just a little bit about me. And uh, Jessica, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. So I'm Jessica Bastine and uh, I'm happy to say that Alpha Talk over here at Alpha Warranty Services is my brainchild. Um <laughs> I love doing podcasts, so uh, super lucky to be here uh, producing this show and being a co-host over on our end of things, but um, and getting to collaborate with other shows like Dealer Process Secrets. But uh, as far as I go, um, I am eight years into the digital marketing field, so I kind of come from a different side of things, uh, but I'm pretty new to the auto industry the last year is how much time I've spent in the auto industry. Um, But for like one reason or another, I just keep finding myself like tied into it, rather it's personally or now professionally, but uh, I have my degree in digital marketing and uh, I loved being in auto. It's been such a different um, role for my career, but I've learned so much and, you know, I, we just spent, an hour of me raving about Philip's book on our show because uh, I just told him it helps me a ton reading it because uh, being so new to the auto industry and being in marketing at that, sometimes I feel a little removed from 
some of the other areas of it. And so it was cool to read his book and feel like I understand a little more about dealership and the retail space. But so that's me. Here we are. <laughs> I would say, yeah. Jessica, I've met some GMs that have less experience than you. So there you're probably go. all right. There. <laughs> I, he said it. I can go out and get a GM job right now. <laughs> Here I come, local Toyota dealership. <laughs> oh, right to Toyota. We're going to skip or right past I... Nissan and Mitsubishi right to Toyota. I don't I even it. know. I don't even like drive a Toyota. But there was no reason for it to be uh, Toyota. Their yeah, marketing got to you. Yeah, Lexus. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Lexus. I know. Go. I should be shooting luxury, obviously. <laughs> I might yep. be able to compete with some of the chiefs there. But. Yeah. So, I mean, auto industry, you know, it's changing. It's changing dramatically. And, uh, you know, the last year has been some of the strangest times we've seen in in the last, you know, 20 years uh, you know, we've we've seen, you know, vehicles bringing over retail. We've seen um, crazy sales volume, and it's it's a wild time to be in the auto industry. And and we certainly uh, appreciate uh, the support that we get from you know companies like Alpha. Um, the dramatic change that we've seen has just been incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's been uh, an interesting kind of pivot that we've seen in the market. Uh, you know, one of the things that we started out with early on was we invested heavily in our technology. Uh, honestly, as a small business, a lot of that was just because it costs zero dollars to e-contract. I mean, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. right. But when you're actually uh, printing out, you know, your impact printers on your service contracts, uh, you've got everything in triplicate. You've got the carbon copy, uh, and I also hated having to, con- you know, say the word goldenrod unless it's oh, unless it's like a Star Wars reference. <laughs> um, there, you know, that was one of the things that we started off really early on doing, and we got a lot of pushback, quite honestly, from it um, from our dealer base, our agent base. Um, it was different than what the industry was used to, but what we were able to do is show some efficiencies there. So when that contract was written and contracted through our e-contracting system, we now had record of it. So we're able to, you know, if there's that immediate claim for the customer, we're addressing it right then and there. We're not the checks in the mail. We're hoping it comes, um, or we're not waiting until we actually get the paperwork. So what we, you know, used as kind of our initial, look, this just makes sense for us. We're all kind of a, a, a little bit younger generation in the, the auto space. Um, and, and that's really the direction the business was going. We took that on early uh, in our inception. So that was in 2002. I bring that up because, Brian, to your point, uh, there's a lot of uh, technology pieces that have happened in the, you know, we talked about digital retailing and, um, you know, your uh, brand recognition and making sure that your you know, reviews are, and, and you know, this is where Jessica can probably, she's over here like, that's not what we call it um, in the marketing <laughs> space. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are now done and transactions done online that I think dealers would just been resistant to because it has been such a tactile sales experience. And so it's been fun just in the last year to see all these things that we know will make a better process and make the experience better for the customer and for the dealer. Now dealers are having to you know, commit to those. So, uh, yeah, 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 Brian, it has been a crazy year, but it's been a lot of fun to see. Yeah, we we uh, we're making a big push for e-contracting, and uh, you know, obviously that affects funding and making sure that we you know get our 
uh, you know, money in the till faster. And we're seeing a lot of benefits from that. And, you know, some of the platforms out there like dealer track route one, um, are, you know, pushing for the e-contracting and, uh, faster funding and things like that. And it's it, that, that part of it's been great. Um, you know, the inventory constrictions have been tough, uh, trying to find the right inventory, trying to, you know, stock up and make sure we have the right stuff has been interesting. Um, we are starting to see the used car market starting to crest. And, uh, you know, I would advise dealers to be a little careful about what you're paying for inventory right now, because, uh, it is starting to, you know, the proverbial, like music is starting to kind of slow and you got to be careful about what you're stocking and how much you're stocking. And I don't know, Phil, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I love hearing about this stuff. I mean, it, it's interesting. You said 2002, you guys were doing e-contracting. I'm like, whoa, uh, I was at a high <laughs> volume dealership. Were you guys doing that back then? Yeah, we were. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so really after, since inception with the company. And so on your insurance products, essentially, right? On the claims and on the... Correct. Yeah. So, so that's that's crazy. I, I don't think we were doing or I did e-contracting until... Man, like seriously, until 2012 or, or something like that. And I was at the same dealership and I was myself uh, super resistant to change uh, back in that period. Like the entire, you know, you get used to doing something and that, that uh, dot matrix printer, as they call it, uh, that's like honestly like a ligament of mine. It's like my third arm. Um, it really is. I, I learned how to use that thing so young. I was 21 and they had me doing 120 deals a month, which is way too many deals for your finance managers to be doing, by the way. Uh, after about 60, you're losing money. Um, that's a whole other whole other discussion, but that's reality. It's kind of this, it, it's very similar to uh, how many leads your BDC reps are getting. There's a certain amount where they can, you know, dig out everything that's in there. Uh, but yeah, after 60 deals is no good, but I was super resistant to that change. I was super resistant to a lot of change. Uh, I was made in the old school car world is really what I like to say. And then I was there as all these changes took place uh, and I got to witness them all. But obviously after I got used to contracting, it was the coolest thing in the world because I knew my deal was funded. Um, I knew I wasn't going to hear about it a week later. I get to see it get funded right then and there. Uh, I actually got a lot better at like knowing that stuff and understanding that stuff at the time, um, getting it done. And if you do have an issue, you know about it really quickly. Uh, so all that kind of stuff, the stuff you're talking about, Brian, with the inventory shortages and everything, I think at any given time, uh, I know right now it's crazy right now. It's like a, you know, an off the charts moment in certain areas, but I think at any given time in time, uh, you're going to have something that's a little bit different than it usually is. And I like to obviously, you know, go back and rely on the basics, which is uh, thank you so much, Jessica, for reading my book, <laughs> really, you know, and, and, and enjoying it. I'm glad that, uh, that it definitely gave you some stuff because you're, I mean, you're in the industry, right. But um, uh, got a second one coming out culture and leadership and it's, you know, the first one's system and processes is what it really is. 
And uh, if you lean on your systems and processes and you lean on your culture and your leadership, uh, and then there will be a third one. But uh, if you lean on these things, you're going to get through these times. And when this changes back the other way, uh, you need to be set up to basically be able to weather all storms. And I really think when we're focused on um, you know, the, the problem at hand right now in the moment, we're not looking down the road far enough because that problem at hand right now is going to change. It's probably going to flip all the way the other way around really fast. If I was to guess, uh, I don't think anybody really knows, you know, are we going to boom all through the twenties? Are we going to see a recession? Um, I don't think anybody really can answer that question for you. There's really smart people on both sides of that saying uh, completely different things. If you, if you go down that path and learn about it. So uh, I think leaning on uh, your your processes that are going to work all the time, leaning on having a strong culture and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Because what happens when you don't have a strong culture is you've got people complaining about no matter what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got people complaining that there's too little inventory and those same people are going to complain when there's too much inventory. So that's the mm-hmm. problem at hand right now. Uh, that problem is solved by looking a lot further down the road. Uh, and as of right now, obviously, we're going to do the right things to um, to get by, especially if we have that longer term outlook rather than, you know, think it's this massive problem we have to solve right now because the problem's going to mm-hmm. switch on you as soon as you solve it. So those are my two cents. Yeah. Problems, so problems jump off. I was going to say, problems always create opportunity, right? Like a problem uh, is an opportunity. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to hop on what uh, Phil was saying. Uh, Just like I was working in a totally different industry when COVID hit. I was actually working for a a SaaS company that worked in the reputation management field for restaurants. And so when COVID hit, it was basically the inventory shortage to auto like you know no one could go anywhere no one could go in and eat anywhere and restaurants were just like thrown like for a loop and so like in a similar respect one of the things that we like as a reputation management company you know trying to help these um companies that couldn't do anything because you know they didn't have their customer base or in this case you don't have your inventory it's you know, it's a really tough time because you're not doing what, you know, your company is really intended to do. But just like you said, uh, problems create opportunities. Uh, When you're in a downtime like that, that's your opportunity for fortification. And I think what Phil said was absolutely true. Uh, If you don't have those processes in place, now is your time to work on it. You know, you've been given an opportunity to go and restructure. And another thing, you know, from like a marketing perspective, uh, if you don't have that culture nailed down, another time to fortify that. If there's more you can be doing to be known in your community or you know where you're doing business, this is your time. You don't have a digital marketing space or your e-commerce is lacking and that's what you've been wanting to work into for, I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to fix the camera really quick. But uh, if you're wanting to like get into that space, now's your opportunity because you have all the time in the world. I think you're right on the money, Jessica. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when everything's going well, um, 
and you're selling all your cars and you're selling them all for sticker price. Uh, it's like, why do I need to fix anything? And the biggest opportunity right now, I think, is in the finance department to make more money. Let's beef those numbers up right now. But along the same lines of what you're talking about is, uh, you know, have those processes have, you know, be ready for this to turn, I think exactly. is, is more of an important point than, uh, and it's the last thing people want to do. And people don't look at the problems as opportunities, but when you're, you know, when this thing does turn, that's going to be the harder place to, to implement things right now. Everyone's making more money than they've ever made. Uh, this is the time. It's the same thing I used to do on like a much more micro scale, uh, managing the store is, you know, when everything's going well, that's a good time to add another hoop, to add another, um, to get more out of your people, to challenge them a little bit more because they're all, they're, when this thing flips, there's going to be, mm-hmm. you're, they're going to be challenged massively and that's going to be the worst time to then probably try to challenge them to become better Then you want them to be really good and prepared to weather that. So love what you were talking about. The other about. part of that, the other part of that, right? Like there's definitely an inclination to hunker down and just weather the storm and get through and just resume, you know, business as usual. Um, but like you're saying, you've got to take that opportunity to get better because the guy down the street who's maybe in the same industry might have taken that opportunity that you didn't to be better. And so now your competition coming out of it is going to be vastly different and you might get left in the dust. Yeah, I've always I've always said that uh, profit hides a multitude of sins. And what I mean by that <laughs> is like, when things are good, we, we kind of shortcut and we yeah. just kind of, you know, just take the easy money and, uh, you know, profit mm-hmm. does hide a multitude of sins. And if we like get focused and get good right now, that's what's going to carry us through the, you know, potentially the rough storms ahead. And, uh, you know, one of the dealer groups here in Utah was, was started during a recession and, um, they did, they just didn't know any different. And that's Apple, Microsoft, like the biggest companies in the world were started in recessions. And, uh, actually one of my favorite people, uh, or quotes from, uh, Grant Cardone, one of my favorite quotes from him, was uh, he talked about it. He's like, nobody expands in recessions. Everybody contracts. So if you're the only guy expanding when the things turn the other way, uh, you're going to beat out everybody else because everybody else is cutting you know, everything. Uh, advertising, they're cutting people, they're cutting this, they're cutting that. And that's actually the time to go against the grain and expand. Uh, and however you want to apply that today while everything is booming, um, you know, there's probably some gold hidden there as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy that I, I don't like to go against the grain just to go against the grain. Uh, but I definitely like to question everything that's considered like mainstream perspective of where things are or where things are going more importantly. Like I, you know, just cause everybody's saying this is the next big cheese. I'm not just jumping on there and this is the next big cheese. I said, I want to sit there and think about it and look at it and question it. Um, a lot. Maybe it is, right? I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. Sometimes it is, so, sometimes it isn't. So you're saying you didn't buy GameStop is what you're telling us then? On that <laughs> no, I didn't go near GameStop. Well. That was the next one. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's got a good point there. I didn't go near GameStop. I didn't go near AMC. 
Um, I actually missed out on all of this. If you want to, I'm not embarrassed to say it. Cause I, and I had, I owned Tesla. I owned Shopify. I bought Shopify at $60. I owned Tesla at nothing. I sold all of it before wow. the crash even happened back in February. And I missed out on this entire thing. <laughs> None of it makes any sense to me. I mean, you know, so I, I don't really look at it. I, other things I did, did well. I had a little crypto, you know, but, but <laughs> burning <laughs> off the whole thing. You brought up something uh, interesting, Jessica, about the uh, you were in the restaurant space. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I don't think most people yeah. calculate like businesses, you know, their their payroll, their this, their that. Like a restaurant closed down for three months. I don't know what percentage of them are even still here. Uh, and I don't think most people. I mean, it was. That, but. Absolutely. And it was all about, you know, transformation, you know, those people who weren't on Uber Eats or DoorDash, you know, before it hit, they were scrambling to get caught up to that technological front. And I mean, it's something we talk a lot about here in the auto space. It's like, were you ready for shifting entirely to e-commerce when people couldn't come into your storefront? Or, you know, if they were coming, like, you know, extremely decreased numbers. And so were you prepared for the shift to a hundred percent like online? Yeah. Yeah. And in the, yeah, it's uh no, it's, I, I, I think, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. It's fine. I, I was just <laughs> going to say, um, I think we're going to, uh, to your point, your point earlier, Phil, uh, I do think that the, you know, you talk about, um, what, what the next objection is. And Brian, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the profit overcomes all sins. Well, what, what I'm seeing from my position and being in some of these top dealer groups all the way down to your mom and pop stores across the country, because Alpha is a nationwide company. Um, the what's, what's unique is, you know, we are dealing with inventory shortages. We're dealing with, and it's hard to sell finance products without a, something to sell it on. You know, we're not in that, that direct marketing space. Um, but what's, what's been interesting for us is our finance departments are performing at a very high level. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're seeing from your finance departments and your dealerships, whether it's just finance or, or it's your car sales, you have a limited amount of inventory. So you have to make sure that you're selling every car and every person coming in is getting that um, offering on the, the finance products. And so what is, what I think is going to happen, I think the real challenge for dealerships in the the next you know one to two years, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot like the the fifties in my opinion, where you know there was a a decrease in spending because you know you couldn't, and then there was rationing, and then now everybody the consumer spending just goes out of hand, and uh, inventory levels are going to come back. There's all these cars we've all seen the the images of you know the F one fifties that are literally sitting in you know. Uh, um, yeah. space, like parking lots of yeah, like Kentucky these huge tracks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're there and all they need, I mean, all they need, but when those chips are being manufactured and you have a government who's putting that emphasis on chip manufacturing because it's affecting all sectors, we're really going to get to a space where there's going to be excess um, inventory. Yeah. And I think that that's really going to start driving that. Now, everybody who wants a car, who bought a used car because they needed a vehicle during the pandemic and there was nothing else available, the OEMs are going to come in and rebate those cars. Now you're going to be trading in those used inventory for that new inventory. Hmm. And um, I think that it's going to be a real challenge for the, the dealership space to maintain these best practices that they've had to do over the past, you know, one to two years. I think that's actually going to be our challenge is trying to get through 
this, you know, the boom. The boom. Of, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's weird sitting on this side and kind of projecting that out, but I really feel personally that that's, that's kind of our next objection. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is you're, you're basically saying we're going to have tons of inventory, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Overproduction. Yeah. And it, so digging into that, cause it's something interesting that I've seen, um, if you go on the, into the Facebook car groups and you just kind of read, you know, what people are saying is, is right now, and we were talking about it the other night a little bit, Brian, we were, uh, we we're actually t- throwing around an idea of, of having like a consumer on the podcast. And I was like, man, there's only, the only place I could go with there is like the funniest ways I could tell people to, uh, buy a car. And, uh, talking about that is really trying to get them to like, you know, aggravate the the salespeople, and I was like, I don't know if I'd really want to talk about this on the podcast. Here I am talking about That's it. But, so funny, but it's well, true. Actually, the person we, that gets the best deal is going to be the person you don't want to deal with. You're you're like, you know, the people that are great at getting good deals are going to like annoy you, right? It's like, oh, let me just get this guy out of here. Let me get him in a car and get him out of here. Right wow. now, those guys are getting no attention. Um, what's happening is the difficult customers and the customers that want to negotiate salespeople right now and dealerships are getting used to actually like being like, go away because somebody else is going to come and buy this limited, limited inventory because it's limited, limited supply, um, you know, increased demand right, right now. And you're going to, you're saying that is going to flip. And another thing I've seen them do. Uh, is change their processes as of where, you know, the old school good process system and processes get everybody in from BDC. Like BDC's job is to just get you in the door. Doesn't matter if you've got a 300 credit score, doesn't matter if you have no down payment, if you're riding the bus. And this is what I used to always preach, right? And I'm like, you know, to my sales guys, you don't complain when they bring you deals, right? You're only complaining when they're bringing you people that can't buy or people that are unrealistic and this, that, and the other. Their job is to bring them in. And dealerships now, because of the inventory crisis, are completely changing up their process and they're requiring like credit apps and things like that to get people into the door. Uh, and if you're changing your process up that for this temporary uh, this temporary basically thing we're going through according to, you know, what you think is going to happen and you think it's going to flip, then you're going to have to change your process right back and teach new things again about bringing everybody in. And unfortunately you might have scared your customer base and made people not like you because you weren't talking to them and you weren't working with them and you weren't dealing with them. So that really goes back to the first thing I was talking about, which is, is looking much longer term down the road, having the right systems, having the right processes, when I first heard that, it made my, you know, it made my skin itch a little bit that you're requiring credit apps all of a sudden from BDC for customers to bring them in versus bringing everybody in the door. And I get it right now. We've got that inventory crunch, but I tend to agree with you, Brian, that this is going to flip on us. Um, and that would be a bad process once it flips. Now you've got to, you know, scramble real fast and put the old process back in place and go back to the old thing when this flips. I think, you know, just keeping your stuff the right way, which is treating your customers right, bringing all your customers in um, is the way to go. And I mean, you know, you just, from the first thing I said to what you just said, it, you know, (laughs) comes together. So there's, there's always, there's always long-term decisions and then there's short-term decisions. And I would always like, 
tell people to make long-term decisions because that's what's going to keep you in business long-term. Yeah. And, and going into that discussion, Wall Street is, is short-term. Uh, you know, if you're a publicly traded company, they, they're all about that three-month uh, cycle, you know, and that's where we, we got our, our layoffs and we, we make all these rash short-term decisions and long-term, they're awful. Mm. Uh, and you watch Wall Street analysts, you know, commend them for the, for the short-term decisions and say they're bad for the long-term decisions. This is in uh, Simon Sinek's book. He talks about it a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, talking about like CVS stopping selling tobacco, like wall street hammered them Well, long-term they actually did better. And they, you know, they call themselves a health, uh, store. So people are tend to buy that more. What is that? That's your culture. That's who you are. Uh, that's what you represent, right? So making those longer term decisions that hurt your pocketbook in the short term, uh, Apple's a massive one, right? With Steve jobs, he literally like threw his whole company away when he saw, the first uh, desktop version of a computer. Uh, and they decided to go that route. And they were like, what are you crazy? You're going to blow the customer up. And it's a real quote attributed to him where he goes, well, I'd rather blow it up than somebody else blow it up. And, you know, you look at companies not willing to pivot, a Kodak uh, a film company, right? They started off to bring professional photography to the average person and they missed out on, they even owned patents on it. They missed out completely because they wanted to short term keep their uh, chemical and film business rather than go into the digital film space. And even though they own patents on it, and now Kodak is literally a company that pretty much only sells to professional photographers. It's like super ironic. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of crazy. But that's what you're saying, Brian, is that those short-term decisions, like you're trying to boost up your numbers right now. Anytime you're trying to boost your numbers, like right now or next month, and you're looking at your employees or people as a commodity, or you're looking at your reputation as something uh, temporary, and you're not thinking about the long-term, I advise you step back from that. Doesn't matter if you're in a dealership space, if you're in a space uh, like both of our companies are, uh, where, where we're servicing dealerships, it doesn't matter what space you're in. Um, that long term is, in my opinion, always, it's not even a sum of the times, the long term mm -hmm. decision is always the right term. And I've learned that in my life, the longer term you think, the better off you are. If you're thinking on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, or are you thinking on a decade basis? If you're thinking on a decade basis, um, that's when big things happen. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's across the board in life. Yeah, there's, there's franchise and then there's commodities business and franchises where you have something that other people don't have. And then there's commodities businesses where, uh, you know, a lot of times you're only as smart as your dumbest competitor, right? Like yeah. airline tickets, uh, sugar, flour, you know, you're dealing in commodities. And, you know, if you're dealing in commodities, like you really do need to take that long-term approach because uh, otherwise you're, you're going to get cut out. Apple's the best uh, with what yeah, you're definitely talking something about there. Uh, sorry, Brian, uh, but Apple's the best example of what no, no, you're, you're talking about there, Brian Steele, because um, Apple sells this phone to us for how much money over what the other phone is out there. How are they not a commodity? They're not. Sure. Well, they, they've, di they've differentiated themselves as a franchise because they have something that the other 
person doesn't have. That's not and, true. They do. What's the, the other phones are the, exactly the same. And they're like, right, right. But I'm saying through their marketing, they've tried to differentiate themselves. I wouldn't even call it marketing. It's, it goes back to, it's that long-term outlook of who they are. It's their culture. It's who they are. It's what they represent. Right. It's what they're doing long-term. It was originally challenge the status quo. And that's how they got as big as they did because it basically they created a following. They created a, um, you know, a, uh, a, a, an extreme culture that everybody wants to be a part of. Um, and that's like Harley, right? Yeah. But they <laughs> did deliver Harley's. Yeah. Harley's on a whole other level. Like nobody has, people still don't have Apple computer tattoos and, but they went from <laughs> Apple computer to Apple Inc. Uh, and that was when they were the only computer company that was able to compete in the in the phone space, in the MP3 player space, and all these other spaces. Dell, all those companies made products that uh, didn't work in those spaces. So it's it's uh, yeah, but it's a very long term outlook. It's it's uh, it's I'm not gonna you know for the short term gonna. Uh, going to do something for this short-term money gain. I'm looking for the long-term outlook. So, you know, back on the show we just did on your guys' show, like impact and results is what I say builds brands, not, you know, just a bunch of foo-foo on social media. Um, It's actually, at the end of the day, people aren't going to remember any of that stuff. They're definitely going to remember if you came in and and, uh, changed, changed something that lasted a long time and had a large impact. So results. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really what we've tried to do and why we've had some of the success we've had over the years as the company, you know, as it has grown. Um, number one, we've listened to our, our customer base, right? And uh, we tried to, as the market has changed, we've met their, uh, the market demands, you know, the market has, you have customers who are driving more. Um, we did an unlimited mileage program not that long ago. It was something that was really important to us. Uh, we had uh, when we initially started, we were very much a low cost powertrain type provider. Um, but that wasn't what our customer base was asking for. You know, there's a, there's a space for that, but what we want to do is again, go back and create that, um, customer, that, that good customer experience by creating that new car type product so that they're coming in, even though they're buying a vehicle with 125,000 miles on it, they still get to have that, that that safety net of knowing yeah. that there's that coverage and that their their lifestyle is protected, um, and I think that that's something you know that as you kind of are as a company uh, or as a dealership, you really have to listen to your customers. They will tell you what they need, and then you either create it yourself or you find partners who are willing to do that for you. Yeah, I love yeah, that, that's awesome, Brian. Yeah, I love that. How are the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, just, I want to ask, uh, ask you one question, kind of talk about the, um, uh, the gap claims and the tire and wheel claims right now. <laughs> I think this will help our finance managers out there listening base, because one of the things we talk about a lot, or I talk about a lot, and especially new finance managers and finance managers, knowing how much profit inside the dealership they make on those products. Sometimes they think that they're like, making too much money or something like that. And it gets scary to ask for the money. And this is just 
you know, jumping into what really happens in the mind of that finance manager in the office. Uh, and what I've been uh, telling them a lot recently is, you know, well, first of all, all the insurances you pay for your home insurance, your car insurance, they all have, you know, what do you, how do you think insurance companies become some of the biggest companies uh, and most profitable companies <laughs> that exist uh, is there's a huge profit margin in insurance uh, to begin with. But even what they're making inside the dealership, uh, those gap claims and those tire and wheel claims right now, um, I get, can you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, just, just so that people understand out there yeah. that what a great product both of those are right now for, um, for anybody buying a motorcycle, car, boat to have, uh, because it's, there's the yeah. claim rates are, are, are extreme. Are they not? And they've been skyrocketing. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, we were, it's funny. We were actually having a conversation specifically around gap, um, earlier to today with, uh, our executive staff. Uh, one of the things that's got us really nervous about the the gap market and really why it's such a need for the customers. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, you know, you probably don't want to show the customer the Mannheim vehicle, used vehicle index. You probably aren't going to be able to, you know, show that as your pitch. But I do think that there is, a, it's a really powerful tool. If you look at what those used car prices have been historically over the past, you know, 20 years, we are really at the apex of by by a long shot, exponentially higher, we're paying that retail uh, value of that vehicle just to get the inventory in, which does translate to a higher price for the customer. But more importantly, when this levels out, the insurance companies, as you say, you know, while we're an insurance company, we're really a, a finance product provider. We're not your traditional like car insurance company. There are a lot of there's there's definitely a lot of margins there, and they want to protect that. Um, when they're you know working with with the general consumer, so what they're going to do is we're paying way above retail now. Two years from now, when inventory levels and you know again, this is I have a background in economics is kind of my nerdy part, I guess a little bit that my Star Wars fanboy I'm, predicted um, for us, so we can hold, <laughs> so we can congratulate you or hold you to it. I hate. Oh yeah, see that's. I hate predicting this stuff because it's like. <laughs> well, it's 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 really tough right now because consumers are paying all time highs and and they're going like eighty four months and uh, you've got these credit unions that are willing to do like one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty percent of retail book and and drag it out for eighty four months. Gap companies are are extremely exposed, and I I think the gap prices are. Uh, lower than they should be. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the way I sold it a little bit is because, uh, you know, consumers are extremely exposed because they're doing, you know, they're buying at a market high and they're going extended terms. And I think the gap companies are, are, are really exposed. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, it's, it's, it is a great point, Brian. Yeah. yeah the I, gap companies specifically, you know, you talked, I, Philip. You, you talked earlier about uh, the commodity side, or maybe that was Brian. But um, that is really, you know, there's not a lot of differentiation and gap. It is what it is. The product itself doesn't differentiate enough. So what happens is it's really a race to the bottom to have the cheapest price. As if you're a gap provider, um, right. to be competitive. So your market value for gap might be here, but you can't sell it there when you know that that's what you're. You need to sell it for to make sure that you're not overexposed as a company. So you're actually underselling what it needs to be reserved. And that's and now because there's all this unpredictability in the market with the retail rates being so high and what the wholesale cost of these vehicles are that dealers are buying, 
it, it, it increases that exposure so much more. So, I mean, my hope, um, and, and again, Gap isn't a product. We have a part, we have a few great partners with Gap. It's not a product that we actually do, but my hope is the market, because nobody wants to pull the trigger first, right? Nobody wants to say, we're going to go up to what the, the value of Gap should be. It should be, let's just say it's $300 or $400, whatever it is. It should be there, but everybody's gotten so used to selling it at, you know, $250 or whatever that, that, you know, I'm just making up numbers here. Nobody wants to be that first to market to say that because they'll lose yeah. market share. So yeah. my hope is the market does naturally regulate and it will, if you believe in, you know, free market and that, you know, there's that price equilibrium. We just have to get there. There has to be that. And I think that this exposure uh, is, is one where it is an, a naturally occurring thing. We don't have, it's not anybody holding back inventory. We just don't have the ability to put it on the street. So we, we are limiting our supply. And I think that that's one of the things that will help regulate the market. Now, you know, we could do this. Let's hope we're doing this show two years from now. And you're like, Hey, you totally missed the mark. And I'll say, you know what? Uh, economics <laughs> is, a, is a pseudoscience. It doesn't really actually predict anything. So, um, but no, that that's at least my, my perspective of where I think that specifically with gap, where they're going to go. So you just, you laid out something there that could be frightening. I mean, imagine if the, the way that this gets pulled back is some companies going bust that can't even pay those claims at some point, because um, from what I'm understanding is the gap claims are up majorly, the price is too low, and we're selling cars at elongated terms with low money down and for stupid money, to, for lack of a better term. Uh, and, right. uh, it, like, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the right that's, term. That's and, the essence of reinsurance is these, these companies are backed by other insurance companies. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's scary. We did watch AIG fall. It seems like everybody forgets that. But I mean, we watched AIG fall without a government bailout. So I imagine you'd have some sort of government inter intervention there. But uh, yeah, you just painted a picture that sounds like almost like, a, you know, an, an eventual bust sign, which is uh, pretty scary. But the, the thing I would take from it is as a consumer, first of all, I would never uh, I lease most of my cars. So uh, most of them come with a gap insurance policy attached to them. Um, it depends uh, who you're leasing with for your leasing company, but I would never go without gap. And as a finance manager, um, when I have like very little room to go and the customers purchased a couple back end products and the gap cost $200, uh, I would give it to them a lot of the time, literally costing $200 that I could have kept his profit in another product uh, just to sleep well at night and feel good. Uh, and obviously you end up, you should be around a 70, 75% uh, gap penetration on your retail contract yeah. right now, in my opinion. Um, it's a, it's a major product that you definitely don't want to go without. I know you said you didn't offer it. I wish I was, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, gap is uh, gap is super important on that note. And for finance guys out there listening, uh, you know, take care of your customers. They're coming back. They'll take care of you later. They'll remember you if you did them right. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. not only you know, I I think from the customer, you know, uh, that that CSI or that customer uh, doing doing the right thing is obviously the most important thing. It's some one of our tenants we live by. Mm -hmm. But I think you know, if you're really looking at it, even from a self serving perspective as a finance manager. Let's say you don't put gap on that, that customer. And I don't want to paint this whole doom and gloom because there will always be providers out there who do the right thing and step up and they, they'll take care of 
other you know companies claims that's how we started as a company by taking care of a provider that that did the customer wrong and left the the industry but it is uh so it's more than just that if you're a finance manager and you're listening to this right now think about that customer your average customer is coming back what brian or you know every two to three years yeah so if you don't put gap on it now and you hope to then trade them out of that car and you've or you've buried them in a payment because they had a huge gap claim what do you, what are they going to do? They're not going to come back and you know, they're, you're, you're there upside down. You're never going to make a finance deal work for them. So, you know, even if you are uh, looking at it from a self-serving perspective, the, the customers right now are incredibly exposed in that market just because the way the market is trending. Yeah. And, and that's why, that's why I've, you know, pushed that product. Um, but I don't, I don't want to end this podcast without like really profiling, profiling alpha and what you guys offer. So if you guys want to take a second and, and talk about yeah. what you guys offer. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, uh, so Alpha, uh, we're really an A to Z solution for you know most dealers, but really where we excel is uh, in the used car space. Um, we do reinsurance, we do, you know, new car business, but what, what we really are excellent at is any dealer who, you know, if you're a large franchise dealer, independent dealer, and you have uh, a reinsurance position, we're really good at protecting that reinsurance position, but also maximizing those additional offerings outside of that reinsurance book. So typically what we do is we'll come into a dealership and we'll, we'll meet with uh, the ownership group and understand where they're at in the first position with their reinsurance offering. And we'll say, you know what, how do we, how do we bring those incremental sales in? What are you doing with those vehicles after 60,000 miles or 70 or 80,000 miles? And then we, we show them how we're able to increase profit by providing really exceptional product and best in, in industry product uh, from our perspective. And what we've seen was even some of our top 10 dealer groups that we are um, partnered with. So uh, Brian, I know you have, you've had some experience in even uh, selling the product um, at some of those, those dealership groups. Uh, we do really well with your, your used car customer that wants to have the same type of protection that they get when they go in and buy a new car yeah. and they, they, you know, they want, they want that product. Uh, we also offer all ancillary products. So, um, you know, your tire and wheel, uh, your, your bundled. Yeah. 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 So, um, we, we are that full, full provider, but, uh, Phil, I know you mentioned, you know, you got to know your space and that's really where we excel. We want to make sure that we're giving the customer the best experience possible. Um, so our claims process is always, is also, uh, we think best in class, um, in that space, you know, you can't always say yes, uh, especially when you're dealing with vehicles that are, 120,000, 130,000, 140,000 miles. But we do always say yes on the the parts that we are supposed to cover. And I think that that interaction, which is what shows on our reputation, I think we're at just a 4.5 or 4.4 Google rating, which is really hard in an insurance company. You know, if you go and and Google even just your healthcare insurance, you're probably not going to see that because we do try to take care of our customers, our dealers, and, and the agents that support us. Yeah, and then tire and, and wheel really claims. Interesting to be on that side. Tire and wheel claims are through the roof too, aren't they? They are. You know, it's uh, they are just by the nature of them. You know, people don't. Uh, it's weird. We've had curbs forever, and people don't see them. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. What that, <laughs> I think um, we have yeah. a lot more potholes. I think there's also. Um, I mean, with the with the gap, I think you know the the auto theft is shooting through the roof. Um, so, I mean, there, I don't know, 
you know, I'm trying to think about the tire and wheel, but so that's a, that's another product that when you're putting it on your customer, uh, you're doing them a favor is the way I see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this was awesome. I uh, love talking yeah. to you guys. Love having you guys on the show. Uh, Thank Alpha you so much. Podcast. I'm going to let Brian take it out because he's going to do it better than me. But uh, <laughs> podcast for all right. listeners. It's another great show in our space. Uh, so guys, check them out for sure. hundred uh, percent. Uh, I endorse it. And, uh, and Brian, take it away. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's been a great show. Thanks, Alpha, for Alpha Warranty Services for being on the podcast with us. Um, and uh, we appreciate your listening. Yeah, we appreciate being on the inaugural video um, yeah. recording. <laughs> there you go. I, I'll have to get with hair and makeup later and see if they yeah. can do some stuff for it for next time. We but no, thank best. you so much. I uh, definitely enjoyed the conversation and love to be, you know, uh, hopefully we can can uh, continue it in the future. Awesome. Absolutely. You too. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you guys again. Thanks, everyone, right. for listening. Thank you so much.